Geopolitics and Empire is joined by James Guzman of the Borderless blog and podcast. He lives over in San Miguel de Allende, one of the top expat communities in Mexico. He offers strategy call consultations as well as health insurance and, and other things if you need it in Mexico. ¿Cómo estás, Santiago? ¿Qué hay de nuevo? Muy bien, muy bien. Gracias. How was your uh, How was your Thanksgiving? Did you do anything? No, I didn't. I didn't do much here in Mexico. We don't really celebrate it, so maybe maybe I'll change that. Um, all right. So on this episode, I've been getting a lot of emails, people wanting to know what's the COVID nineteen eighty four situation like in Mexico. Should should they escape to to Mexico? I'm getting uh, messages uh, all the time now, so I'm like, let's do an episode on on that. I did an episode yesterday on on Russia. How's COVID nineteen eighty four in Russia? So you want to check that out and. Yeah, you probably don't want to go to Russia right now. Uh, so I'm going to share my screen to for the people viewing um, and lay out kind of a lot of the, the links and, and stories that we've been seeing uh, over the past six months here uh, of what the COVID-1984 situation is like in uh, Mexico. So let's see if I can get this right. All right. The screen is shared. You can see your page. Yes, James. I can see it. Yeah, that's James's page. Uh, at the bottom, it's funny. He has this photo. It's the first time I, I met with him when I interviewed that's him. Right. And he, he cut yeah, me yeah. out of the photo. What's up with that, James? <laughs> <laughs> so, look at that. I had, right. to make it, I had to make it Instagrammable. You know, back then you could all, had to do a square on Instagram. Right. Okay, you have an excuse. Okay, so <laughs> let's. Uh, I'm going to kind of lay out the situation as I see it in Mexico. And then James can give his take. Um, I think James is, is more optimistic. And I'm more pessimistic, so I think it's a good combination. So we can, uh, you know, iron sharpening iron. So, uh, so here are just a, a taste of some of the links, stories that kind of describe the COVID nineteen eighty four situation in Mexico. So, we've got about thirty one Mexican states, and I've counted so far about seven at least of the thirty one states have implemented to varying degree or have begun proposing implementing what they call vaccine certificates, which is basically the cheap, you know, kind of analog version of the digital vaccine passport that is already in place in Europe and other places. So you see stories like this is from July in, in Mazatlan, where they've launched drones monitoring crowds, COVID prevention. And what happened in Mazatlan, the governor, or I don't know if it was the governor or the mayor, decreed the obligatory vaccine certificate passport in Mazatlan, which is completely anti-constitutional. Literally, the constitution says you cannot, you know, do this. And so what I, and it has failed ultimately. So this story is from October saying that many establishments are no longer asking for these vaccine certificates. And then what I believe happened was that maybe up to 500 Mexicans, here it says 470 Mexicans, with a lawyer were able to uh, obtain amparos, I think it's called injunction, um, because it's illegal and unconstitutional. So they were able to obtain these uh, legal exceptions. With And with these, they were able to enter the establishments who are demanding vaccine certificates. And I think enough people did that, that then all of the shops and retail places in Mazatlan just stopped uh, applying this insane COVID-1984 rule. Uh, last I heard in this article, it says one bank continued to do so uh, in Mazatlan. So that means if you were a customer of that bank, you couldn't go into the bank, uh, I guess, have access to your to your money. So that's Mazatlan. Then you have um, 
where is this Los Cabos? So this is September article saying that they were going to apply vaccine certificates uh, to the areas of like nightlife clubs and restaurants. And we know how this goes. They start in one place and then they expand from restaurants to, to, you know, all shops and then to everywhere. So th this is my pessimistic, cynical view that these things, this is the plan. Uh, the question is how fast they'll be able to roll this out. Then you had Cancun, initially Cancun in, in Quintana Roo uh, state. Uh, they had initially applied the vaccine certificates um, in hotels and restaurants and stuff. This article was updated in July and it says Cancun hotels and restaurants are no longer requiring proof of vaccination, but uh, they are requiring it for some of their hotel staff, I think, uh, and such. Then you have, where is this, Durango? Uh, yeah, Durango, Durango, the state of Durango uh, is proposing uh, obligatory vaccine certificates. Guanajuato, this is just from uh, earlier in the month, is analyzing, implementing vaccine certificates. And they have even said, this crazy governor said that they would cut off social benefits and welfare if you're not vaccinated. So this is the kind of rhetoric we're seeing. Uh, then you have in, is this Jalisco? Where I am, this is me off. Um, <laughs> they're discussing the obligatory use of uh, face masks in public. And if you don't wear them, you'll get 36 hours uh, uh, jail, um, $100 fine, stuff like that. Uh, again, just, this is the, the rhetoric they're having. So far, they, they've said they're not going to implement it. But just the fact for me that they're talking about this is alarming. And the crazy globalist CIA governor of Jalisco is discussing obligatory vaccine certificates to enter the state of Jalisco. So then imagine that being reproduced to other, to other Mexican states. We know Canada has proposed this, and I think maybe they've already implemented. You cannot go travel between provinces in Canada without your vaccine passport. The Biden administration has proposed this in the U.S. So theoretically, you couldn't travel between the 50 U.S. states by land or air, maybe without a vaccine passport. Of course, that's not in place in the U.S. at the moment, and they're proposing the same in Mexico. Um, and just to add on, Guadalajara has already launched kind of a social credit system. They've launched this digital currency for payments uh, of goods and services. It has its own little, the currency is called, uh, what is it called? Huzi, which is interchangeable with the peso. Uh, and local establishments have begun uh, accepting this. And you can earn the Huzis through doing stuff like using public transport, running and cycling. This is basically a social credit system because in the social credit system, you gain points. Whatever they tell you to do is how you get points in the social credit system. And if you don't do the things they tell you to do, you lose points. So again, this is seeping in. Uh, and then what James had mentioned to me earlier that uh, AMLO, the president, recently came out and said, we will not have obligatory vaccination in Mexico, no mandatory vaccination. And the health minister said um, it's illegal to to do that. So, and I just want to add on, on as well, just another interesting note: a famous Mexican journalist, Ruben Luengas, recently did a, a podcast uh, on his YouTube. You can see here where he's talking about how AMLO is a globalist uh, disguised as a nationalist. So there's a lot of interesting stuff there that AMLO was at the UN recently lauding world government and um, North American Union. So AMLO is proposing the North American Union, the world government, you know, based on the EU model. 
So that's kind of the, the I'm going to stop my screen share. That's kind of my take on how the situation is in Mexico. Over to you, James. Okay. Yeah. I mean, well, you, well, you started out and, um, you know, you were talking about how they had, you know, proposed these things. They even tried to implement them. Also here close to me in Querétaro, um, they had also done the same thing as far as requiring vaccination in um, entertainment areas, some restaurants and stuff like that. And basically they, you know, if you go there now, you'll notice that nobody's doing that. So they just basically gave up. Um, and so I think that, you know, when we look at what's gone, what's happened over the last two years, um, you know, as far as the constitutionality, the legality, all that is out the window. I mean, the, uh, it, it's kind of out the window anyway, as far as I'm concerned, the government is going to do whatever it can get away with. Doesn't matter if it's legal. Obviously, everything that the federal government of the United States, like 99% is is anti-constitution. So, I mean, nobody cares about the constitution. It's just It just gets away with whatever it can until people just don't comply. And so I, that's what we saw in some of the stories that you started out with was that people just stopped complying and they gave up. So that's why, you know, I, th- I think that um, in Mexico, I'm a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm uh, optimistic about that side of it because, I mean, the government can't even make, you know, 70% of people don't pay taxes. Uh, they have all kinds of autonomous regions throughout Mexico that the federal government's just given up and they don't even have anything to do with it. So, you know, as far as mass compliance, especially with the federal government, um, I think that Mexico is pretty good at that. And um, yeah, I mean, obviously there's going to be good and bad uh, places to be. And, and you know, th- these types of laws, we see them all over the world. So I'm you know, maybe I shouldn't be as numb as I am, but yeah, I mean, I know they're going to propose this, they're going to propose that. I mean, it is the new world order, right? Not new world order minus Mexico. So uh, we're going to, of course, they're going to try to do all this stuff. All we can do is just hope we'll be in places that the whole population is not just going along with it. And they're going to force you to, and that they believe in force and violence to, uh, you know, to uh, force you to do what they want you to do. So just using maybe the the face mask, Cubreboca as a, Example. So I'm in the second biggest uh, city uh, of Mexico. Um, I don't know how much we have uh, between five and 10 million people in the whole metropolitan area. I just like taking a look at the face mask. I know people say if you're in the rural areas, the pueblos, like nobody wears face masks and stuff. But if you're in, in the more urban areas, that, that's where the new world order is. It's in the urban uh, sector. And, you know, the rural area is kind of outside of the bounds of the new world order, at least for now. And um, I noticed, for example, when I go to the big place, obviously, when you go to a government institution, you have to wear a face mask. Um, when you go to like to a Walmart or a big box a store, Soriana, you have to wear a face mask. Although I noticed recently, uh, I had to go in, I went in, um, they have the self take your self temperature uh, and gel and uh, no one was even checking that. I just walked in without taking my temperature and I never yeah. used gel. Um, but I, I did wear the mask because, uh, but I didn't test this time, you know, how serious they were with it. But then you go to little tienditas shops, corner shops, and you can walk in without a mask. So it's like, it's, it's like a mix. How are you seeing that? Oh, I mean, I can give you my experience. Well, I can not just in San Miguel de Allende, but I've traveled a bit, um, since the, uh, this whole, uh, lockdown, uh, whatever you want to call it, the panic uh, started. And um, yeah, so here in San Miguel, um, you know, it's, it's has much less people than uh, Guadalajara, obviously. And so it's, you know, a smaller town. Um, we, they did completely like shut down stuff for maybe a week or two. 
Um, and you know, that was horrible for a lot of businesses and that kind of thing, but, um, it pretty much quickly started and they, and they did, you know, higher occupancy and higher occupancy. And now it's a hundred percent occupancy. Everything's open. Um, you know, a lot of tourism, when you go into town, especially on the weekends where the tourism is just packed, you know, you, they have the clubs open bars. If you go into one of these clubs or bars, like nobody is wearing a mask. Um, you know, they might do some theater where you walk in and they'll, you know, put the, whatever that stupid thing is to try to check the temperature of the surface of your skin, which doesn't mean anything by the way. And, um, so that kind of thing, but yeah, even from the beginning, like I would go out to, uh, out to the ranches and things like that a little bit, even just 20 minutes outside of town. And it was, you know, it was nothing even today, you know, it's like 2019. If you just go 20 minutes outside of central. Right. And so that's, that's kind of, you know, been, been the, the, the case uh, as far as the, you know, the campo or different areas and, and that kind of thing. So you can just go a little bit farther out. And um, I went to, I've gone to, uh, I went to Guadalajara. Sayulita obviously is completely uh, open. They've never done any restrictions. I've gone to Puerto Vallarta, Puerto Vallarta, you know, you have a lot of masks and stuff. Um, and then uh, to tequila. And through all those places, the only time I had to put on a mask was like for two seconds when I walked into the, uh, that Badiachi restaurant in Guadalajara where they have mariachis and stuff. And, you know, it's like this, again, it's this theater, obviously ridiculous thing where you walk through the door and they want you to pull a mask. And then two seconds later, I pull it down and I walk to my table <laughs> and it's like, you know, um, so that kind of thing. So to me, I mean, it is, you know, I've mentioned a lot that it's, it's depressing, when I see so many people, especially like outside by themselves, walking around, you know, walking their dog or something with a mask on, it's stupid. But um, if that's the worst of all this stuff that happens, then I can kind of live with that, you know? Yeah. Well, what I do when I have to wear the mask, I don't, I don't have them next to me, but I, people know on the, there's the Telegram channel, White Rose that has the anti-corona messages also in Spanish. And uh, I've, I bought the printer and I, I, I have printed a, a bunch of them and I usually take off a sticker and place it over my face mask. And it, the sticker says something like the media is the virus or uh, I can't, I mean, I can't believe people still think this is about a virus or something. Just yeah. to, at least that's my way of resisting. If I have to wear the mask, I put the message over it and get in everyone's face. Like, you know, <laughs> you, 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 you should know what you, what, what, what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. They also have, I don't know if you've seen these fake masks, but it's like a, thin piece of nothing, you know what I mean? But it looks black. So you just say, Oh, I got a mask on, but you can breathe perfectly normally through it. It's like nothing. But so yeah, that's another and, option. Yeah. And I, I would just add about work uh, and employment. So there are some big employers here in New Mexico that are forcing their employees where I used to work, the university, the top university high school in Mexico, they're applying this. Now you can't work as a professor, their teacher, uh, unless you're vaccinated and uh, now they're going to make it mandatory for the students, which includes uh, high school students and university students. I don't know if they're going to force the high school students to do it. But then there are other universities that are not applying this yet as of now. And so it's kind of a mix. You've got some big, bigger corporations doing it to their employees and others that are not doing it. So that's kind of a mix. Um, maybe you can tell us more. I've been hearing these uh, rumors uh, in Derek Bros's Freedom Cell Telegram channel Um or his Mexico Freedom Group and Telegram and other places that typically when you come into Mexico, you have a 180-day, six-month tourist visa. 
Uh, so you can come in, stay for six months, whatever, and then people would tend to, to overstay. So what I've been hearing about now that, so if you're a foreigner and you go to a bus station, buy a bus ticket, the, they have like National Guard or authorities asking to see your visa. So you can't just like, um, they can stop you and ask you to see your visa. And if you don't have one, they'll detain you uh, and I guess even deport you. And there's been talks that this um, migration agents, when you come into Mexico as a tourist, they're actually knocking down your 180 day stay to 10 days or 15 or 30, like at will arbitrarily. So what's your take on this? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what's, what's going on. Um, I think there's a, a variety of things. They have been trying to overhaul the immigration system. Uh, that was one of the things that AMLO said he was going to do. Um, and, you know, when people say, oh, they're getting stricter with immigration, I mean, it's been the case for a long time. You can basically like just waltz into Mexico and nobody will even look at you. So, you know, when we say like they're getting stricter, well, I mean, getting stricter compared to like nothing at all, you know what I mean? And And any person with especially us canada whatever but they just give you six months off the bat they ask you no questions don't need a return ticket so it's been pretty much like the most lax immigration system in the world or one of them you know what i mean so yeah they are now they ask you um sometimes they'll ask you what you're planning on doing and if you say hey i'm coming for vacation then they'll just give you 10 days um if you say hey i'm coming to visit my uh my brother and i don't know how long i'm gonna be here then they'll give you six months a lot of times they'll just stamp six months because that's how they've done forever. But um, yeah, I mean, I recommend people, even if they're considering, um, you know, that like they're not sold on going, moving overseas or, you know, becoming a digital nomad or perpetual tourist or any of these type of things. If they're just getting, if you can, if you're able to get a residency somewhere else, that's going to be a big asset to you. As we saw in the early uh, 2020, you know, they just, most of the countries shut down immigration for anybody that wasn't a resident. Right. And so at least if you have a residency somewhere, that'll allow you to have some sort of a plan B, some backup plan, another place that you'll have access to. Um, you know, you can also, you know, do things like if you want to, uh, you know, if you have some money and you need to, uh, you want access to different markets, maybe you want to get real estate uh, in Mexico that you can rent it out as a vacation rental or as a long-term rental, but you, know, you also know that you have that in the future. It's an asset. You can get uh, uh, a proper, a, a um, permanent residency with it, maybe even citizenship. And so there's a lot of things that just, you know, even if you're not like, okay, um, I'm selling everything and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm taking the kid out of school or whatever, and, and I'm going over there 100% into this place that I just found on the internet. You don't necessarily have to do that. You can just kind of give yourself a window into another place. Maybe you got a place where, you know, there's a lot of places in Mexico, like here in San Miguel de Allende, where there's a good network of, uh, you know, like-minded people. I think that's really important too, where you're, wherever you're going to go is having people there, having a network, because it's really hard just to try to, especially if you're, especially if you're trying to try to do any like self-sustaining off the grid thing. I mean, that is very, it's a lot harder than people think and uh, doing it alone is, uh, is quite a task. Yeah, that's one thing like some people that have messaged me is like, you want to go somewhere where at least you know the language or you know somebody, um, you don't want to just go alone because it's it's going to be very, very hard. Um, that's why I recommend in some instances, just stay where you are, where you already have some kind of friends or family or or network. And um, 
what else was I going to ask you? So I don't pay attention to a lot of these things because I'm a Mexican. So I don't pay attention to the the visa stuff, the yeah. residency stuff, because it doesn't apply to me. I don't care. I'm, I'm Mexican, whatever. I can just come and go and do everything I like. Um, so what, what, and I, but I remember about over a decade ago when I was hired from a, abroad by um, my Mexican employer. So when you're hired, you, you have to come in on a work visa. Uh, but for whatever reason, because it was such short notice, uh, I came in on a tourist visa and then my employer somehow fixed it, made it into a, a work visa. I don't know if they had to pay a fine or paperwork, whatever they, they, they did it that way. Um, what would you recommend to people who want to come down to Mexico? Like, I mean, there's people that come in on a tourist visa and then they stay. Uh, I don't know if there's people who come in on a tourist visa and then they overstay and then they're able to work it out by paying fines or whatever to, to become a temporary resident. Uh, or do you apply to, at a Mexican embassy abroad to, I mean, or, or maybe they can get employed with some part-time uh, job here in Mexico. Uh, how would you uh, advise people who want to come and live uh, in Mexico? Yeah. So the number one thing that that's one thing I really harp on a lot is money, right? That's what people need. They need to figure out unless they're retired on social security or something, then it's not really a big problem. But, um, you know, for the most part, people need to figure out how they're going to make money, how they're going to make a living, right? They can't live with no money. So um, that's the first thing you got to think about. Now, coming down to Mexico to try to get a job, I do not recommend, uh, you know, they're, the cost of living is very low here. So our salaries, that's why the cost of living is so low. You will be amazed if once you see how low the wages are in Mexico. So just coming and trying to find a job, I don't think is a great idea. If you work for a, a company that will let you work remotely or, well, the thing, if you're restationed or whatever in Mexico, they're, they're going to lower your salary to a Mexican salary. So that's not great. But um, if you can work remotely, which more and more people can do, uh, that's phenomenal. I would say once you do that, all you have to do to get a permanent residency is show more than $2,000 a month, a little bit over $2,000 a month of income. And uh, there's ways to do that, even if you're a little bit short, you, you know, but that's, you know, so if you're making that much money, you can automatically get a permanent residency. If you come down here and say your wife is uh, uh, pregnant, um, if uh, you come down here, she has a baby here, you both can petition to have permanent residency. Um, and so that's another way to do it. Obviously, if you, uh, get married to a, a Mexican national, um, and, uh, yeah, some people, you know, there, it's been pretty normal for people to live on a tourist visa. You know, a lot of people, people say that's illegal. It's not really illegal. I mean, maybe technically, but it's been very accepted. Nobody really cares. Even if you, um, overstay your tourist visa, You've been just been able to go to uh, the immigration office and you pay a fine of like 500 pesos, so like $25. And um, nobody really minded. Uh, that might be changing. So it seems like attitudes are changing a bit. So perhaps doing the perpetual tourist strategy is not going to be the best one in the future. So you might, you know, if you've been doing that, you might want to uh, think about how you can get a residency. I think a lot of people are doing that now, again, because they're, they have been for sure. I know from firsthand uh, experience, people have been getting 10 days, one month, et cetera, instead of six months. So, you know, doing a border run every 10 days doesn't sound very feasible. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that those are the, basically the, the main ways that you can do it. I have heard 
that because of so many people that they're doing this kind of transition, because there's so many people that are irregular, you know, or illegal or whatever you say, that they've overstayed their visas or, you know, they've been doing things like that, that they have programs where you can um, be, you know, regularize whatever you, you want to call it, you and make it legal, your, your paperwork so that you can then become a, a permanent resident down here and uh, you can be on board. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the government wants that because first of all, you have to pay like $500 to become a term- temporary resident or permanent resident. So there's fees. So they make money, you know, uh, when you tourist visa, you just come in and you don't pay anything and well, you're supposed to pay something, but a lot of people don't. And, uh, you know, so if they can just get all these people that were paying nothing, if there's a million or something, then get 500 bucks from all of them, that helps them. Then they're also on the books now. So then they're going to be registering their car and paying those taxes and they're going to be able to be trackable and all this type of stuff. So it behooves the government to, to regularize people. So, you know, I wouldn't be so scared of the, uh, you know, uh, uh, trying, you know, talking to the immigration, they are going to try to get you to to get on the books. And a lot of people are, are saying that the migration crisis is causing a loss, a lot of this as well. Um, AMLO and the Mexican federal government uh, has been, you know, US has been leaning on them to try to do something about this, this flow uh, coming up of uh, all kinds of people, Honduranians, I guess, Haitians, Africans, uh, uh, Guatemalans, uh, Nicaraguans, who knows? But just, you know, these uh, it has been going on. It's not like a, a hoax or something. I mean, there, there has been a lot of people, however it's motivated or who's behind it. I mean, we know certain NGOs and things like that are behind it, but it is a fact that there are a lot of people coming up. The U.S. government is trying to lean on the, uh, the federal government to stop that and trying to figure it out. So that might have to do with them kind of pushing forward their uh you know, the, their uh, push to regularize, have a little bit stricter immigration policies. Yeah, I uh, tell people to go check my archive. I did an interview with Todd Miller on the border security complex, which I think has to do with this, as well as North American integration. Because if you go read the old policy reports, you know, they want to integrate Mexico to the North American Union. And, you know, you integrate the economy, you in- integrate the security structure and, and the border. Uh, indeed, even NORTHCOM, Northern Command, um, if you look at their site and policy, they consider Mexico as under Northcom, you know, defense uh, uh, as well as you know Canada. So I think there's something to that. And in terms of the work, uh, the salaries, as you said, I think there are some exceptions. I know people uh, Mexican. I know well used to know some foreigners as well as Mexicans that make really good salaries, some even comparable to Western standards, working for certain, you know, big corporations or companies here in Mexico. Uh, So there are a few that offer Western style salaries, um, as well as others that offer good salaries, not Western style, but still very good for for Mexico. So there are these exceptions in places if if you can find those jobs. Um, I might also add, I just thought this was interesting in terms of resistance to COVID-1984. There are some Telegram groups and, and groups on other channels and social media uh, where Mexicans are organizing across different parts of Mexico. Uh, I know here where I am, I mean, but if you think about it, they're very tiny, they're very small. If I'm in the second biggest city uh, of Mexico, and which is like five to 10 million people, uh, and the anti- anti-COVID-1984 group, uh, I haven't been yet to their protests. I haven't been able to, but I've seen the the photos and I know people who, who have gone there. They've only been a few dozen. 
you know so if if in the second biggest city of millions of people there's there's a resistance of just a few organized resistance of a few dozen then the resistance is not very strong in mexico compared to like europe or other countries uh yeah. what are your thoughts on the resistance here? well i mean yeah i know guadalajara is a different experience you know um but you know and so here like i said the only really thing that there is if you go to a big box store um they'll, they'll ask you to put it on but it, you know you could a lot of them you don't even have to like they nobody will say anything to you um i was in the government office here um and i never put a mask on so and that, you know it's government offices so you know the thing is a lot of the times if you see all these people with masks on they're just doing it there is no uh mandate so i mean i don't know how you're gonna you're gonna protest like people voluntarily doing stuff <laughs> i think a lot of the the stuff with the vaccination as well with the employers a lot of times the employers just say okay we're gonna close the office and um go get vaccinated today you know you get and and uh and people just go do it i mean they don't have to people do it and people just put the masks on because they think they they're supposed to or they're trying to be polite or whatever you know so as long as you know people aren't forcing me to do it then uh, you know it doesn't really um i don't know I, it, again i can live with it but yeah of course there's not going to be a huge resistance because you know i guess if they started putting people in camps and and uh, locking down only unvaccinated people like they are in different countries then i'm i'm sure that there would be sort of a pushback but it's hard to push back when it's nothing is really being enforced i think you know what i mean but i guess we'll see because i mean i don't think this is going away and um as they try to morph this into a uh climate you know morph it into a, a health slash climate thing like you don't care about your neighbor because you use too much uh, gasoline or because whatever, that's what, you know, it's going to be the same type of thing. We'll see how Mexicans go along with that. I think it's, I, I, I just have a hard time seeing how they're going to go along with it. Just knowing Mexican culture that they would, you know, but I mean, I'm, I'm very surprised at how many people are voluntarily wearing masks as well. So. Yeah. I would just add in terms of the employers, I know someone who was, um, told you have to get, as I said at the at the university, that you have to get the injection, and if you don't, right. you're you're fired, and it's completely unconstitutional. But the, the they did it anyways. And what what happens here in Mexico is the, your employer can fire you at any moment for any reason. But if they do that, then they have to give you like uh, a severance package. Uh, you know, they have to pay a lot of money depending on how long you worked and give pay you this severance package. So that's the that that was the employer's way out. Uh, in this case, so th they're like, oh, we're not firing you because you didn't take the jab. You know, we're just firing you and whatever. We'll pay the severance package. So there was no real real recourse for that employee. So th this is happening in some places where uh, in Mexico, they're, they're just telling people, take the jab or you're fired, even though it's illegal and constitutional. We'll pay the fine, the severance package to get you out of here. So, yeah, that's crazy. Um, I might just add, again, the advantages of Mexico, low, low cost of living friendly people uh the weather is nice the disadvantages the the insecurity insecurity situation uh i mean what else would you add about people thinking of coming to mexico yeah okay uh you know i'm i'm a believer in you know what's called agorism and uh you know just basically voluntarily uh, exchanging uh goods and services with people and i mean they say that 70 to 80% of the economy in Mexico is black and gray markets, meaning people that use cash, i.e. agorism. I mean, if when you go to a 
market, you know, like the just the regular Mexican style market. Nobody's paying taxes there. Nobody's registered as a corporation. You know what I mean? So this is basically, um, you know, that that type of, uh, you know, systems, what they will call parallel systems and this kind of thing. This has existed for a long time in Mexico that you can just, you know, you can just start a business and nobody really bother you. You can put a, you know, a taco stand out there and you don't have to, like in the United States, I learned what turned me into a libertarian when I was about 16 or 15 years old was uh, I bought a, I borrowed money to buy a hot dog stand. And then they said, Oh, you got to register it. And I went and registered. Oh, you got to go to the health department and register. Went to the, you know, and, and they had, I had this big stack of things. You had to have a, a restaurant sponsor you. You had to get inspected every month. Then you had to go and get approved to be on a certain corner. Then you had to pay somebody to be on the corner. And it's just all these things. And I said, forget it. I mean, you know, there's just so much regulation, so much red tape. It's impossible to even start a lemonade stand or a hot dog stand, right? Well, not impossible. I mean, I guess somebody, some people do. But, um, you know, so here in, in Mexico, it's very easy to do that kind of thing, small businesses, and you see it all the time when you come down here. And so I think, you know, that's that's a positive thing um, about the country in general. And, you know, with, with my networks, that's one thing that I really try to do is I try to um, work with other people I know that have businesses you know, kind of like under the table businesses or agorist businesses or whatever it is, we support each other. And I let other people know about it. And, um, you know, if we can, you know, right now I, I haven't been doing, but I, you know, I think that, you know, a lot of people talk about cryptocurrency or, you know, alternative currencies, whatever you can use to exchange, you know, around the fiat system. If you can try to uh, avoid the, you know, doing it all through the bank system, obviously, where it's all tracked and traced and all this kind of thing, because, you know, this is going to get it's going to get worse and worse as far as trying to do business. And, and uh, if you, you know, above board is they can easily, just like you, you mentioned about um, in my state of Guanajuato here that now in order to get government uh, help, they're proposing, they're looking at making the, uh, the VAX mandatory, you know? So if you want to play ball with them, if you want to be a government employee, if you want to, have you know some company that you can get money from the government or you can get these certain things, then you're gonna have to play ball, right? And so if you don't want to play ball that way, then you want to be with other people that are you know like-minded or and uh, you're gonna have to do that um, through unregulated, unregulated, you know, well, I guess you could say unregulated, but just kind of alternative markets. And um, I think that's easy to do here in Mexico. For the most part, it has a culture of you know leaving people alone. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad, but people kind of mind their own business for the most part, which is great. You know, they're, they're not, I can't see them going around asking everybody about your vaccine status or whatever. I've never been asked that. The only people that have even tried to do anything like that, that I've seen have been kind of the expats down here, like the old expats. All they do is they come down here for some reason and they watch CNN all day, which I don't understand why I come down here, except they're broke. And so, but, um, yeah, so I don't see that kind of thing. So if you just wanted to, like, uh, a pl- I think everybody understands that you could come down to Mexico, buy a plot of land, and people will, for the most part, leave you alone, and things are inexpensive. So that is a good solution. And as far as security goes, it varies greatly uh, where you're going to be. You know, uh, it's, I would definitely say, understand, you know, try to think about what your, you know, risk tolerance is. Because there is a risk tolerance. I know people are like, what do you mean risk tolerance? Well, I mean, you're not going to live in a perfectly safe area anywhere in the world. I mean, I don't know, maybe like 
Denmark or like uh, a mountain in Switzerland or something. But for the most part, yeah, you know, if you like, if you're living in New York, then you probably have some sort of a risk tolerance and you wear, wear in New York. And so this is what you have to think about. Um, and, you know, if, if you're very uh, risk averse, there are a lot of places that you can go. I would say, you know, uh, Queretaro is close to me. San Miguel is very safe, although the state itself it has, is, is not. The state has high crime statistics because the other side of the state has gang wars going on. Right. So you don't want to live over there. But over here in San Miguel, it's not the case at all. And it's like, say that you go, you know, like I said, if you're very risk averse, I'd understand if you have a baby or something or several kids and, you know, then you want, I would say, you know, you probably want to be Queretaro or Merida or place, some place in Mexico City and, and, and get in a private neighborhood, you know, it's going to cost you a little bit more. But, um, you know, other than that, I mean, there's all kinds of multimillionaires that live all over Mexico. So it's not like, oh, they're just going to kidnap people left and right. Um, normally those are like politically motivated, um, and things like that. And it's not just like a random, uh, you know, gringo with a hundred thousand dollars in the bank that doesn't, they don't care about that. So. All right. Um, just kind of like to sum up uh, anything else, uh, I would recommend Mexico. Um, it does seem to be one of the last bastions of freedom at this time, but again, we must remember everything, um, can change at any moment i would argue it's one of the least worst places currently to be uh as i said i would have liked to be in croatia but i thought it was smarter to be to come here and now we're seeing again you can see for example some people consider the balkans the mexico uh, of europe but now we're seeing in croatia again i mentioned this you cannot get into a government office now without a vaccine that's not the case in mexico so um and actually one of my listeners told me that they were in the process of looking for land in Croatia, uh, and this person is not even Croatian, and that now they're considering dropping that and leaving Croatia to come go somewhere else, like in the Americas. So uh, again, there, there's that. Uh, I would also argue that my perspective that some of the last bastions of freedom in the US are also extremely good options. I don't know, maybe Florida, the American Redoubt, Texas, places like that. So if you're already there, maybe stay there. Uh, or if you want to come to Mexico, my previous guest, Matt Smith, is in Uruguay, maybe Paraguay, I don't know, Brazil could be an option. <laughs> Chile has gone full fascist. Um, so Costa Rica is already applying the vaccine passports. So I, I don't know what else to tell you. The last episode I covered Russia, Kazakhstan has gone full COVID-1984. Um, so maybe Mongolia, I used to live in Mongolia. It's the least, uh, has the least, uh, what do you call it, population to, to, to land ratio. So maybe you get a yurt and go out into the desert in, in, in Mongolia. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts, uh, James? Well, I mean, eventually, I mean, we'll see how this all goes down. But I mean, I think the key, as I said, is just um, mass non-compliance of, of, of this type of thing. And then the government just can't enforce it. So if you're in a place with a lot of with, with people and uh, that, you know, that are uh, you know, agree with you on that, then you can try to get as organized as possible and just uh, and just not comply. And if the government doesn't have a whole lot of resources, then uh, what are they going to do? You know, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, the government really runs off of all our voluntary uh, support. And uh, this is all just about, you know, just pe people 
uh, as and I'm, people might say, what do you mean voluntary support? Because, you know, the cops are going to do it. Yeah, well, the cops are doing it voluntarily, too, with money that's just printed out of nothing. I mean, this whole thing is just a game, a con game. And so if you can kind of just not comply with the con game and get other people to do the same, then it kind of that whole mask of authority falls away. And um, so that's, you know, I think that's the best thing we can hope for. I, I don't have any, you know, hope that, you know, in the United States, they're going to have some like uh, court, you know, in the, Trump's going to come back and save everybody or that they're going to challenge the Constitution in the court and, and find out it's all unconstitutional. I mean, no, this is all a joke, you know. So, you know, I think the best place you can do is just go to a place where, um, you know, the government doesn't ha- doesn't have as much resources and as much of mind control over the people as, as other areas. And it's a little, you know, less authoritarian in general. So that's kind of my case. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I'm going to just add again, my pessimistic view is that, and I've interviewed some, you know, wealthy people, um, prominent people, and I get messages and seeing what other people are doing as well that are prominent, prominent, you know, intellectuals. And a lot of them are coming to the similar conclusions that this is not going away uh, anytime soon. And that we are just like in stage one or two or three, and this is going to keep getting worse. How long it lasts, what it looks like on the other side, uh, we don't know. But my motto is kind of prepare for the absolute uh, worst. If it doesn't get that bad, nothing happens. But if it does get that bad, then it'll be at least less worse <laughs> for you and yours. So uh, yeah, we're starting. I'm, I feel like we're in the 1930s again. So basically... Yeah. It's- well, I mean, and, and another thing I would say is, you know, think about skills. I mean, what do you have as far as skills go? I mean, I think that's kind of the base. Uh, and I think that's got a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of people that are thinking about off grid and, all, you know, all of a sudden out of nowhere, you know, they were living in California and I'll, I've, I've talked to people every day from Canada, California, places like this, New York, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, I'm going to go off grid and, you know, buy like a ranch and all this thing. And you know, it's a lot harder than you think. I mean, you're way behind the curve as far as the skills needed. So you might want to think about, you know, just regular working with your hand skills, whether it's gardening or plumbing, electricity, working on cars, things like that. And I'll tell you what, um, down here in Mexico, people still have a lot of those skills. Um, just in general, uh, they get things done and they still, you know, because they haven't lived in, I think one of the the big overarching things that's going on is with the technological system or, you know, neoliberalism, capitalism, whatever you want to call the uh, the Western system as it is right now, you know, I think that it's, it is uh, domesticated. A lot of people is a, is a word I like to use. And, you know, now they're kind of, you know, it's like if you all of a sudden you uh, kick a domesticated dog out on the street, it's not, it's going to die. It has no idea what to do. So, you know, a lot of people are kind of realizing that. So yeah, it's, I think that's kind of the basis of, of things is to, you know, recognize the skills you have once you have some sort of skills and hopefully you can make some online income with that. You know, that's always helpful, but also, you know, maybe be able to do it if the internet goes out, if you, you know, if you're able to, to help people, whatever you're going to be uh, all of a sudden very quickly. Uh, if you're a resourceful, you know, uh, strong, especially like a strong man or, you know, things like this, then you're, you're going to all of a sudden be someone that is, uh, that people are going to want around. <laughs> So um, that's something to think about.
Yeah, I was l- l- listening to some of uh, Derek Bro's speech. I mean, he's making his own little community, but he was saying that if you didn't have enough money to join his community, but you had some strong skills, they would uh, think about yep. ex- accepting you. So, all right, uh, we'll continue this conversation uh, online, offline, uh, you know, in the Telegram channels um, and elsewhere. So the website is Borderless Blog, and you are on Twitter and now on uh, Telegram. Any other website or project uh, we should know about? Yeah, I mean, I've been concentrating on uh, health insurance lately. You know, I, um, just kind of so there is a uh, what's another great thing about Mexico, I might add, is that you have the public and the private uh, systems here. So, um, you know, in places like Canada, they only have the public system. And so if you have to get a surgery, you just have to wait and, you know, that's it. And there's no other option down here. You have the option to pay. They have great facilities, great hospitals. You know, a lot of times uh, the staff will speak great English and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And you pay out of pocket. Most things are inexpensive, but a lot of times it can add up if they're, you know, just like in any other country, if, something catastrophic happens, it can go into the hundreds of thousands or very rarely millions. But um, yeah, so I just try to help kind of help people guide them through that, um, you know, the private healthcare system here. And uh, yeah, just in general, when people want uh, advice or something like that on maybe on real estate, I've also worked in real estate for a long time here. Uh, Then on my website, they can uh, set up a call with me. So that's, uh, that's what I do. All right. So far, they are not rejecting uh, unvaccinated from hospitals in Mexico like they are in in other countries. So, so far, so good. Always good to chat uh, with Senor Guzman. Check out the Borderless blog. Hasta la vista, James. All right. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast interview. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list through which you can receive an update of every new podcast, as well as a long list of key news headlines once a week. We're being heavily censored. YouTube has deleted some of our videos, and we currently have one strike. Patreon has terminated our account. Facebook has restricted our page, and Reddit has been the leading posts. Our favorite social media channels are Telegram and Twitter. The best places to watch the podcast beyond YouTube are on Odyssey, BitChute, and Brighteon. The best places to listen to the podcast are on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Google, or on any other podcast app. To help keep this podcast alive, leave a review on Apple Podcasts and wherever else, subscribe to all our platforms, and leave a donation if possible via Subscribestar, PayPal, Bitcoin, or Ethereum. You can also find us on MeWe, Minds, Gab, Float, VK, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Thanks for listening.